We are finishing up our series today uh, called What Would Jesus Undo? Uh, we talked about Jesus there, years ago. There was this WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? You're supposed to look at situations like Jesus would and react like Jesus did. In this series, though, we're, we're saying what would Jesus undo? So in week one, we looked at Jesus would undo spiritual indifference. When, when you look at worship and you go, nah, I can take it or leave it. Um, God, his power, prayer, the Bible, nah, I don't need that stuff. The Bible says that attitude makes Jesus sick. In Revelation, it says he wants to vomit you out of uh, his mouth because you're not hot or cold. Hot or cold has a benefit. Meh, in the middle, lukewarm, no benefit. So we said Jesus would undo spiritual indifference. Week two, we looked at hollow worship. Jesus said, if you come to worship and you just, you've got, your heart's not in it, your mind's not in it, you're just here going through the motions, you're reading the words off of the screen, it's like offering him an empty gift. You got this nice package on the outside, but there is nothing on the inside. Jesus says that's worship in vain. He wants your mind, he wants your heart, he wants your spirit all engaged. Um, the next week we talked about spiritual hip hypocrisy. Jesus would undo hypocrisy in our lives. Uh, last week we looked at... Um, uh, how God created the universe where even the stars, even the planets, and even the sea creatures sing praises to God. And what would Jesus undo? He would undo this attitude that many of us have that our problems are bigger than God. If God created the universe where they're singing praise whether you do or not, then he's a pretty big God and I bet he can handle whatever it is that you're facing. Now today we're gonna look at spiritual pride. Jesus would undo this because spiritual pride is when you value um, your life based on what you contribute or, or your, whatever you gain in life um, and what you accomplish, or you compare yourselves to others and say, I'm not as bad as them, so I must be doing okay. Jesus would undo this because we need to find our value in Christ, not in what we accomplish or not comparing ourselves to others. Now, to introduce us to this, cop, uh, this, this concept of pride, I've got a theologian from my childhood, from the 70s, that great theologian known as Arthur Fonzarelli. I want to show you something from the Fonz. Ralph, I was ruined. It's <laughs> kind of stuck in my throat there, yeah, stuck in my throat. Ralph, look, I was ruined. <laughs> Have those words ever stuck in your throat? Just me, I'm the only one. You, you find it easy to say I was wrong. We have the most spiritual church on the planet. I did not know that till this moment, right? Sometimes, we, why is it so hard? It's hard to admit, especially to those we love, I was wrong, you were right. And then the Christian thing is to add, will you forgive me for being wrong? Why is that so hard? Ladies, I got a question for you. If, if your guy is is proud too proud to admit he's wrong and and he just he's he's pig-headed is that attractive to you or is that unattractive come on come on i need to hear you thank you thank you for playing along now the other side of this and guys you need to learn this we already did this in the first service i know the answer ladies when your man is humble is that attractive or unattractive is that a little bit attractive or is that a lot attractive? Yes. You would think we would figure this. We don't. We need, you need to tell us, baby, you look hot when you're humble. You just tell us. I mean, we can't figure those things out on our own. Um, so the Bible says a lot about this idea of pride. In fact, there's a famous verse I want you to help me complete. And that verse comes from Proverbs. Here's what, here's what it says, but you complete it. I'm not going to put it on the screen because I think some of you know this. Pride goes before the 
fall. Let's say it again. Pride goes before the fall. You're so close. That's not what it says. Really? Thanks for playing, Mary. Here's what it says, Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before what? Destruction. A haughty spirit before what? So I guess you're in the spirit of it, pride, you're combining. But there's actually two phrases there. So Jesus would undo this idea. Pride equals destruction. Jesus doesn't want you to be destroyed, your life to be destroyed. A haughty spirit is what equals a fall. Well, what's a haughty spirit? I looked it up because I knew you would ask. Someone who is haughty is arrogant and full of pride. When you're haughty, you have a big attitude and act like you're better than other people. A haughty person acts superior and looks down on others. Now, let me, I'm going to read this next sentence and you tell me whether this is attractive or not. Haughty people are disdainful, overbearing, prideful, swaggering, and obnoxious. How many of you are attracted to those things? Travis, yeah, no, no, Jamie is, a, okay, uh, sorry, sorry, I, that, was a, that was a cheap shot. Um, swaggering, it's not attractive, pride, pride is not attractive, so Jesus would undo this. Uh, Jesus tells us a story in Luke chapter 18 where he talks about two different guys going to the same place for the same purpose. Now, if you were a Jew and you heard Jesus say, a Pharisee went to church, because that's how it's going to start here in a minute, the Pharisee went up to the temple, you're thinking, good guy. And then the other person Jesus talks about is a tax collector, and the tax collector in their mind was a bad guy, no question. Jesus says both of these go, guys go to the temple to pray to God. One of them leaves right with God from his time of worship. One of them does not leave right with God from his time of worship. And the Jews assumed the Pharisee, the good guy in their minds, would be the one. They were sadly mistaken. See, Jesus was talking to a group of people who assumed they were good enough to earn God's blessing. And they were going to be sadly disappointed. They viewed themselves as being superior to others who weren't as religious as they were. And so they looked down on other people. They had a haughty spirit and a haughty spirit is unattractive to us, but it's also unattractive to God. Jesus would undo this. And so I want you to understand something. When you think you're better than yourself spiritually, Jesus does not approve of that. In fact, I want to tell you a couple of things. Your relationship with God cannot be separated from your relationship with other people. Cannot. So the second part of that is the, the vertical always impacts the horizontal. Your relationship with God is affected by your relationship. So if you've not heard from God in a while, there's a big chance that there is a relationship in your life that is not right. Husbands and wives, we're supposed to be together. In fact, in, in 1 Peter, it says that husband, your hair, your hairs. Dude, I know. Your prayers can be hindered, not by your hair, but by the fact that you don't treat your wife correctly. That's what I say to some of these grooms. Will you treat your wife in an understanding way so that nothing will hinder your prayers? The vertical, the vertical is impacted by the horizontal. The horizontal impacted by the vertical. If you're not right with God, if you hadn't heard from God, probably there's some pride in your life and there's a relationship that you need to make right. Well, let's look at this story. Jesus starts off in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 and 10, and he says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, the Pharisees, you understand, in the Old Testament, there were 613 laws, and I'm pretty proud of myself for remembering that number, 613, but a Pharisee would have them all memorized and he would obey them. He would spend every moment of every day trying to obey the 613 laws of the Old Testament. 
Testament. And so when Jesus starts out this story and he says, a Pharisee went to the temple to pray, it would be like to us saying, Billy Graham went to church. Where do you expect Billy Graham to go? Church, if he was still alive, he's in heaven now. But you would expect Billy Graham to go to church. Or you would expect somebody who loves Jesus, that teaches about Jesus, to go to church. So that's how they started out. Um, and if the Pharisee was like Billy Graham, I don't know that there's a modern equivalent to the tax collector. See, there were actually um, occupations that, that men could have that were acceptable for another Jewish man to allow his daughter to marry into that profession. All right, so, so there were things. Tax collector was at the bottom. Not making this up. There was actually a dung collector because, you know, stuff was on. Dung collector was a step higher than tax collector in their, in their society. So it was okay. Actually, they didn't want you to marry a dung collector, but if, but if you're gonna, if it's a choice between a dung collector and a tax collector, daddy's gonna choose the dung collector. That's how low the tax collectors were. Um, so... So he didn't just collect taxes. See, think about it like this. Let's say that Russia in, in invaded the United States. Remember the, the Cold War? Um, let's say that Russia or one of our enemies invades the United States. Not only do they conquer us and not only do they make us pay taxes so that they can expand their kingdom and so that Vladimir Putin can have, have bigger palaces and bigger cars and more swimming pools, but your next door neighbor that you grew up with is the one who takes your taxes and he is empowered by the Russian government to take as much as he wants. So he, not only are your taxes funding the Russian government, but it's also funding his projects in his backyard. You see that nice pool. You see the slide. You see the cars. You see this stuff. And, and that's what it's like in a Jewish mind for a tax collector to show up at church. Now, they go to the temple. Both of them go to the temple to talk to God. And it's, and it's like... It's like Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader, before you knew Darth Vader was his daddy, go to church, right? Luke's the good guy. Darth Vader, the bad guy. He's dressed in black. Look at him, right? It'd be like Jim and Dwight from The Office. Some, okay. First service did not. That one didn't work. Or it's like this. It's like Chuck Norris. And whoever poor soul Chuck Norris is about to karate chop, Right? A roundhouse kick. I mean, because you know, if you see a Chuck Norris movie on, who's going to win? Chuck Norris. So, the, so the, the Pharisee is Chuck Norris, and the tax collector is the dude who's about to be Chuck norris Right? Because you know what's happening. You know what's coming. Now, I'm going to stop comparing Chuck Norris to the Pharisee because that's actually an insult to Chuck Norris. Let's continue reading in verse 11. The Pharisee stood by himself. The reason he stood by himself is because there was not a doubt in his mind who the best person in the room was religiously. It was him, and he couldn't hang out with the riffraff because that would bring him down. It would cause him to be unclean. So not only is he standing over here because he thinks he's better, he, he says, I'm better. God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Can you imagine? If I start my prayer, God, I thank you that I'm not like Chad, I see you, Justin, or Justin. I mean, if I said that out loud, wouldn't that make you feel uncomfortable? At least these two guys. We know you, dude. We know better. I mean, that someone would think it is one thing, that someone would say it is unbelievably arrogant. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, even like this tax collector. God, not only am I good, I'm better than them. But now he's going to pull out his resume. I, I just pulled off a generic resume off of the internet. 
Um, highlights of qualifications. That's the first little thing here. So you put your name and your address and your phone number. Highlights of qualifications. This Pharisee is about to give God his qualifications for God to bless him. You should be thankful, God, that I'm here. Here it is, God. I fast twice a week. Anybody here fast twice a week? I can't remember the last time I fasted once a week, right? I, I mean, I've done some, but this dude's better than me. And I give a tenth of all I get. God, thank you that I'm so much better than everybody around me. And he's not totally wrong because by the age of 12, you had to go through religious school. And by the age of 12, a, somebody who would eventually be a Pharisee, by 12, they would have the first five books of the Old Testament memorized. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Not just the names of the book, all of those thousands of verses in those books, they would have it memorized. If you didn't, you couldn't become a Pharisee. He would also spend time in God's word every day. He would worship regularly. He would give to the poor because one of the 613 laws says you have to give to the poor. This was, this was a guy who spent all of his time trying to be good. He was so good that they said, let's pay him to be good and teach us how to be good. But somewhere in the process of focusing on all of these things he had to do, he started seeing himself as a gift to God. You're lucky to have me. And he praised that at the temple. That should make us feel very uncomfortable today. But let me tell you something that should make you feel more uncomfortable. You've got some Pharisee living in you. Instead of thinking, man, I get to go to church. Some people say, God, I, I went to church last week or last year or last sometime in this decade. And if you knew how my life was going, God, you should just be grateful I show up every once in a while and tip my cap to you. Instead of seeing your life and your possessions as gifts from God that can be taken from you like that, you say, you want me to give how much? You must be crazy. I work hard for this stuff. If I show up every now and then and tip my cap, you should just take that, God. You're not getting any of my money. It's like a Pharisee. Instead of seeing our kids as gifts from God and thanking God for the privilege of raising them, we say, God, you should just be glad we're both alive. Because if you've been through the teenage years, we call those the butt years. Not the B-U-T, but I did this, but B-U-T-T. -T. I can say but, I can't say the word that Casey said because <laughs> I just can't go there. But we talk about this, I'm, and, and, and I'm, we all go through it. I went through the butt years. If you, if you haven't talked to your parents, they'll tell you, yes, you went through some butt years. There's some butt years. God, you should just be glad one of us isn't dead by now. And that's enough. And see, we, we get into this where the Pharisee comes out as we get into this little thing where we go, okay, God, I know I got issues, but, but my issues aren't nearly as bad as theirs. My kids aren't as, I've had, I've had people in this building say, well, praise God, my kids aren't like those kids. And I just go, you don't know your kids. They fooled you. As long as I'm better than them, you should be happy, God. That's enough for me. It should be enough for you. See, spiritual pride promotes three things. This isn't on your listening guide. We're just going to run through this quickly. First thing it promotes is self-sufficiency. I don't need anything. I don't need anyone. I don't need you, God. Look at the good things I've done. Or, God, look at all the bad things I could have done but didn't. You should just be grateful, God. 
It also leads to self-importance. My value comes from what I drive or what I wear or where my kids go to school. That's my value, God. Don't you realize how much value I have, God? And when you're, when you're self-sufficient, you're self-important, it leads to self-exaltation. You become a Pharisee. God, I got it going on. And you should be grateful. You know why we compare our lives with others? Because it's so much easier for me to be okay with me if I find your faults. It's okay for my kids to have problems if I see your kids have worse problems than my kids. <laughs> it's easier to throw insults at John and Michelle's, and I hope there's no John and Michelle here. I just wrote it down. I don't know. It's easier to throw insults at John and Michelle's kids than deal with the issues my kids have. Maybe your issue isn't kids. Maybe it's, I don't need God. I'm better than most Christians I know. I don't need God or the church. Or maybe you've become an expert in other people's faults just so that you don't have to look in the mirror and deal with your own. Maybe it's none of those. Maybe you're an attention seeker and, and you'd rather have somebody comment on your, your online posts or you'd rather have somebody know you read the Bible than you would spend time in God's presence and be transformed in the image of his son. Now, I don't think anybody here would be as blatant as this Pharisee to pray it out loud, but I'm gonna call us out on something today, every one of us. Every one of us here and watching online spend more time than we should trying to convince people around us that we're okay. Right, we, we put on a mask. That's the hypocrisy part. Or, or we say, oh, well, I'm, I'm fine, I'm fine. I also need to call attention right here to something called reverse spiritual pride. That's when somebody gives you a compliment and, and you, you can't say thank you. You have to divert to something else. Um, I, I used this from the first service. Doug, you preached a great sermon today. Oh no, you preached a great sermon today. What? Did you even hear what I just said? No, 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 you're, pre you're preaching better than me. Instead of just going, thank you. Someone, someone compliments you, you go, oh, no, no, no. You use sarcasm, it's better to be lucky than good. I just got lucky. Instead of just saying thank you, that's this reverse spiritual pride thing going on. Some of you, some of you reverse spiritual pride, you say, I'm not as good as that person, so I can't do anything for the kingdom of God. If God wanted me to do something, see, it's really God's fault that he created me this way. I, don't ha I can't teach, I can't sing, I can't play an instrument, I can't do, I can't do anything. It's God's fault. You made me like this, sucker. It's your fault. That's reverse spiritual pride. And whether you have overt spiritual pride like the Pharisee or this reverse pride, they both come from the same place and it's from looking at yourself. Either you look at yourself and you like what you see or you look at yourself and you don't like what you see compared to others and how God can you bless them and not bless me. Either way, it comes from a focus on yourself and when we focus on ourselves, there is no room for God. None. That's the next one there. So the Pharisee prays, look at me because I'm looking at me and I got it going on, God. Or woe is me, I'm a loser. Nobody loves me. I can't do anything. You might as well tattoo Eeyore across your forehead because you're like, you know, Winnie the Pooh, the donkey. Nobody loves me. Well, not when you act like that. I've been around people like that. My grandmother was someone like that and it was difficult to be around her. Because no matter the situation, she made it about her. Every picture we have, my grandmother 
She could be fine one second and the next, next second somebody takes out a camera. What I didn't know at the time was my grandmother was beaten by my grandfather. Didn't know that. And, and my mom was the oldest of eight kids and, and they were beaten by my granddad. I didn't know that until I was 25 years old. So she had some things to be upset about. But her focus was so much on herself compared to other people that it made it difficult for people to be around her. Now, praise God, this isn't the end of the story. Jesus continues, and what he says next would cause the people to gasp at what he said. Verse 13, but the tax collector stood at a distance, not because he thought he was better than anyone, because he knew he wasn't. He'd caught a glimpse of God, and he thought, oh, no. God's holy, I'm not, I'm in trouble. The tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. See, this is what I think happened. Now, back then, they would stand. They would stand and worship, and it says that this guy would not even lift his, his, his eyes to heaven. So, so for us, in my mind, this guy caught a glimpse of God at some point and said, God is holy. Oh, oh I, I'm in trouble if this holy God looks my way. Please, God, don't give me what I deserve. I deserve hell. Please, God, don't give me what I deserve. And he would not even look up to heaven. Can you imagine what our worship services would be like if every person came in, caught a glimpse of God, fell down, would not even look up to God, was not worried about who was sitting next to them or who's here or who's not here or what happened last night or last week or 10 or 25 years ago if all we did was we caught a glimpse of God and we said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Can you imagine what that type of worship would be like if we focused on God and not on us? I'm willing to bet none of us have experienced that because collectively we come in and we focus on the wrong things. Maybe individuals get a glimpse of God and they feel the power, but I long for the day when all of us come in and we look for God, not for each other. And we sing as if God is our audience and not the person next to us. The power of God will be undeniable if we ever experience that. The tax collector focused on God and because he did, he had this startling revelation. God, if you don't intervene in my story, I've got no hope. Compared to you, God, I'm less than nothing. I can't even offer you anything that would pay for my sin debt. It would be like, God, I owe you a billion dollars. Here's a penny. Will that cover it, God? No. Here's the big twist. Everyone would have gone, oh, no way. Jesus says, I tell you, this man, the man who fell on his face and would not even look to God, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. The one who saw God and said, I'm a sinner and there's no hope if this God doesn't have mercy. He was justified, not the one that kept all the rules. And look what it says next. For all those, Jesus is speaking, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. There are two ways for you to be humble. You can humble yourself. That's the preferred way. Or God is going to humble you. Especially if you're his child. I mean, we're all gonna bow someday. Scripture says that in Philippians. 
Everybody's going to bow. I'm just telling you, it's going to be much more beneficial to you if you choose to humble yourself instead of waiting till God humbles you. When we're, when we're full of ourselves, there's no room for God. But when we empty ourselves, God can fill us up with his grace so much that, that it overflows and it splashes on people around us. And you leave a room and somebody says, man, I could sense the presence of God because they were there because you're so filled up. See, because here's, here's what the Pharisee did. He took his, took his resume and he said, look at that, God. And I'm just going to use this as an example. God, here's all this good stuff. God, here I am. You should be grateful. And God says, there is no room for me in there. The only way is for you to empty yourself and say, God, here it is. Here's my life. Whatever you want to do, you do it. And I'm just telling you, God will change the course of history. People's lives will, will be changed. There will be people in heaven because you emptied yourself before God. You say to God, God, there's no hope if you don't intervene in my story. Well, here's the good news. God wants to intervene in your story through Jesus Christ. See, the path to what you really want in life comes through humility. Because here's what I think you want. I think you want satisfaction, meaning, fulfillment, blessing. All of those things only come through the person who empties themselves. So look what 1 Peter 5, 6 says. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Humble, empty yourself. Empty yourself so that God may lift you up in due time. Do you know what due time means? His time, not your time. I want it now, God. He doesn't, he doesn't respond to that. His time. Look at, look at what James, the half-brother of Jesus said, James 4.10. Humble yourselves before the Lord. Empty yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. See, here's what I want you to take out of here. Humility in the kingdom of God is a position of strength. Pride in the kingdom of God is weakness. You see a proud person, they have no spiritual power. You see a humble person, resurrection power is available to them. Now, some of you will say things like, well, no, I'm just a stay-at-home parent. Can I tell you there's no such thing as just a blank in the kingdom of God, just a stay-at-home parent, just a construction worker. My mama was a stay-at-home mom my entire life, and I'm in the ministry today because there's no such thing as just a stay-at-home mom in the kingdom of God. Some of you say, well, I'm just a construction worker. I'm just, my dad was, was just a pipe fitter for Phillips Petroleum Company for 37 years, but I'm the man I am today because there's no such thing as just a pipe fitter in the kingdom of God. There's no such thing as I'm just a nursery worker, I'm just a greeter, I'm just a children's worker, I'm just in the band, I'm just on the computer, I'm just, there's no such thing as just a in the kingdom of God. That's reverse spiritual pride. You, you devote yourself to God with what you have and if you're, if you're faithful with the little, he will give you more. Well, I was Googling some stuff for this sermon and I came across this next thing, 12 ways to humble yourself. This is from the Billy Graham Association. Most of it is word for word, but I changed a few little things. First thing is regularly confess your sin to God. If you want to know how to humble yourself, to empty yourself, regularly confess to God. Now, by the way, all 12 of these has an action step. 
Humbling yourself is something you do, not you wish for. So the first step is regularly confess your sin. Don't go a long time between confession. You need a daily, weekly habit. Don't go a month, don't go a year, but confess your sin to God. Second is admit your sin to others. All right, some of you are going, no, you're crazy. Uh-uh, not going to happen. Well, here's the deal. Humility before God is not complete until there's humility before another human. A true test of your willingness to be humble is whether you will humble yourself and admit to others what you have confessed to God. Now, wisdom says be careful who you, you don't need to confess that to everybody, but you do need to confess it to someone. James 5.16 says confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. We know that, that if we want forgiveness of sins, we confess that to God. But in James, it says if you want healing from your sins, you have to confess to another human being another Christ follower, that you respect their walk with Christ. I cannot tell you how many times somebody would say to me, I've never shared this with anyone before, and in my heart, I, go, I sense the Holy Spirit saying, turning point. Because they're willing to humble themselves, and humble people get the power of God. Third thing is endure wrong patiently. When something is up, react, we want to rectify it, right? We want to fix it, we want justice! unless we do it, and then we want mercy. But patiently responding to unjust things actually drives us closer to God. Number four, submit to authority. <laughs> That's a dirty word in our society. And here's something else. Submit to authority, whether it's good or bad authority. Read the scripture. Daniel submitted to an evil king until that evil king said, you can't pray to your God anymore. And Daniel says, okay, I'm gonna go above you. Got thrown into the lion's den, God raised him up because Daniel was humble. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they refused to bow down to this idol that the king put up. And, and they said, we're gonna, we're gonna honor you, king, except we can't bow down to that. Our God is greater. Well, I'm gonna throw you in the furnace. Well, okay, can your God save you? Yes, our God can, but even if he doesn't, we're not gonna bow to you. And God, the Bible says that a son of man walked in there with them. There were four people, and the king even says, didn't we throw three people in? And there were four walking around. He said, I see one who looks like the son of God. They humbled themselves before God, and God lifted them up. We're still talking about them thousands of years later. Submit to good and bad authority. God always works through authority. Number five, accept correction and feedback from others graciously. I want to read this to you because I thought this was hilarious. Look for the kernel of truth in what people offer you, even if it comes from a dubious source. You may be a dubious source, Chad, but what this says is, I pray and I say, God, no matter, no matter Chad's motives, what do you want to teach me through Chad? Number six, look for a lower place. Uh, so I was, at a, I was at a wedding last night. And it was a really nice wedding. I did this wedding for uh, one of our church folks, and um, it was nice. But if you ever find yourself in that situation and you're wanting to go to the head table, you should, you should go, don't, don't go to try, don't sit there. Jesus even tells a story about this. Go find someplace else because if you go put yourself at the head table, how embarrassing is it going to be if they go, uh-huh, you're not supposed to sit there, sucker. You're way over there. He said, look for the other ones because it's, it's an act of humility. And if you find yourself wanting to be recognized or mad that you're not being recognized, there's pride in your life and you need to start recognizing others. That's how you combat pride. Number seven is befriend needy people. 
Jesus constantly hounded by the Pharisees because he hung out with the low people in society, not, not the religious people. And our culture is so status, status conscious and people want to socialize upward. You need to be very near to needy people on a regular basis and show them Jesus if you want to stay humble. Jesus was called a friend of sinners and, and it was supposed to be a criticism. He wore it like a badge of honor. I want to be a friend of sinners to be like my savior. And so if I go and I, I hang out with somebody who's far from God, I, I don't look down on them. I say, God, how can you use me to make a connection and maybe one day, because some of you, some of you were far from God when you started coming here. And this church wants to be identified as a friend of people who are far from God. Number eight, choose to serve others. When we choose to serve someone else, we're taking the focus off of ourselves and we're putting the focus on God because Jesus served. He said, I came to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. If you want to be like Jesus, you got to serve. If you're serving, if whatever you're doing in the kingdom of God costs you nothing, is that serving? It's self-serving. It is not God-serving. That's all you got to do. Is this costing me anything? If it doesn't cost anything, it's not serving in the kingdom. Number nine, be quick to forgive. Forgiveness is probably the, the greatest act of humility we can ever do. Forgiveness doesn't say that, that you weren't hurt. What forgiveness says is I give up my right to demand payment from them for whatever they did to me or took from me. Number 10, practice being grateful. This is what I, this is what I encourage people more than anything else is to, to look at the things you do have and don't look at the things you don't have. Focus on what you do have because a grateful heart is a humble heart. Number 11, speak well of others. In Ephesians, the verses that I put down there, it says, um, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. So if we're, if we're constantly running people down, we're violating scripture. Now, I don't mean you, you, you flatter someone to get something from them. Oh, you're the best. No, no, no. You, you just call it. You say, man, that was good. You were good at this. You, God blessed me through you. you. You say something that builds them up. And number 12, we need to treat pride like a disease whose only cure is the cross. See, it's our nature. It's human nature to be proud. It's God's nature in us that's humble. If you're proud, you're not like your heavenly father. If you're humble, you are just like him. So how do you know? How do you know when you're, when you're getting into this area of pride? You ask a very simple question. Who gets the glory? Or if you don't understand that, who gets the credit for whatever you're doing? Or it, let's, let's make it even a little more personal. Who do you want people to look at when you're doing whatever you're doing? If you want people to look at you, you got spiritual pride. If you want people to look at God, you will leave this place justified before your heavenly father. Matthew 5, 16, the words of Jesus, he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and look, here's the key, and glorify your father in heaven. Who gets the glory? Who gets the credit? Who do you want people to look at? If you want people to applaud your effort, that's all the reward you're ever gonna get. But if you want people to look at God, he promises a power that changes history. 
Let's tap into that power. Would you bow your heads? Father, I pray that you would raise up a generation at new life who is radically obedient to your word. And God, it doesn't matter if we're here every Sunday of the year, if we have pride in us, we do not leave this place justified. So God, reveal to us, if there's pride, reveal to us exactly what it is so that we might confess that to you. We ask God that you raise up a generation here at New Life who, who cares about your glory more than they care about their lives. We ask you to change us into that type of church for your honor, for your glory. We pray this in your name, amen.